So it turns out I didn't plug the pulpit mic in correctly yesterday like I thought I did. So <laughs> lesson learned. All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 987. Uh, there's a phrase, it's, it's pretty new in our culture, that I think is going to help us understand our text today, and that is FOMO. And if you don't know what FOMO is, you're in great company. Uh, but FOMO is fear of missing out. The idea that you are worried, afraid of missing an experience or something that is fun and enjoyable. The fear that others will get something that you will not get. A fear of regretting a choice or not to do something. Now normally today this is used in the context of different experiences or an opportunity that you might miss. But there was actually in the Thessalonian church a fear of missing out, not for them, but for others. There was a fear that church members who died before the return of Christ would in some way miss out or not get the full benefits of the return of Christ. Now, we don't know why there was this misunderstanding if it was a lack of information, again, we remember that Paul, when he was in Thessalonica, had to leave pretty quickly because of the riots. So maybe he didn't get around to explaining all of this. Or maybe it was something that they misunderstood what Paul had said. But either way, Paul is going to take some time here in our text today and also some time in our text for next week to understand more fully the details of what happens when Christ returns. So that they don't have this fear of missing out. In our text today, as Paul speaks about the resurrection and return of Christ, we're going to see this big idea. It's in your bulletins in the outline, if you're following along, that we can have comfort in death because of the guaranteed hope of the resurrection for all believers in Jesus. So let's begin looking at our text. We're beginning in verse 14 of chapter 4. And we're going to see again using the outline provided in your bulletin that we are to grieve with hope. Let me read verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The first thing to understand this text, and specifically this verse, is when he says those who are asleep, he's not talking about those who are taking a nap. Rather, he is talking about believers who have died. And there was a knowledge problem in the Thessalonian church. Look at the beginning of verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. There was a knowledge problem in this church when it came to the topic of Christians dying, specifically those who died before the return of Christ. 
And the problem that came out of that, the problem that arose from their ignorance on this topic was causing them to grieve without hope. And so Paul wants them to understand how Christians should approach death, specifically the death of others. But what does it mean when he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope? So to grieve with hope, because those who do not have hope are unbelievers, but we are believers in Christ, therefore we do have hope. What does that mean to grieve with hope? The first thing it means is that we truly grieve and mourn when someone dies. Notice it's not, do not grieve because you have hope. It's this idea of our grief is tempered with hope, but that does not mean that we do not actually grieve. We do mourn the loss of a loved one. We don't have to pretend that we don't feel anything when someone dies. But I want to contrast this with what, for our purposes today, I'm going to refer to as despair. Those who have hope in Christ can truly mourn, can truly be sad, can truly grieve, but are not lost in despair. We are truly sad when someone dies, but we do not drown in that sadness. We are not overcome by that sadness. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of the resurrection, allows us to experience grief, but to do so in a way that is healthy, without being debilitated by our grief. I don't know the last time you went to a funeral for an unbeliever, but I've done this a few times. And you, there is a real contrast between the funerals where it was not a question of whether that person was saved. I see it so much where when we know someone had faith in Christ, when it was evident by how they lived their lives, there is a sadness at the same time, there is a strength of hope. But if you don't have hope in Christ, and again, I don't know if you've seen this before, I've seen it. I have seen people drowning in their grief with nothing to hold on to. Christians do not grieve that way. We truly grieve, but that grief is tempered by the strength of our hope in Jesus Christ. And I would argue that it's actually our hope that allows us to grieve. You don't have to be afraid of that grief. You don't have to be afraid of that sadness because you're standing on the rock of the hope of Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian church was in danger of grieving without the anchor of Christ in their life. And what follows in the rest of our text today 
is to show them they can grieve with hope. They do not need to despair for their loved ones. So let's look at verses 14 to 17. The meat of our passage today, and we're going to see in that the guaranteed hope of resurrection. Let's look beginning by looking at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The first thing I want you to see about what Paul is teaching about the resurrection and return of Christ is that the basis for their hope is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because Jesus died and rose again, sin and death were defeated. Because Jesus rose again, we too will rise again. Our hope is not based on our performance. Our hope is not based on the luck of the fate of the universe. Our hope is based on the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ. I want you to feel the solid nature of that hope. Again, we've talked about this a lot, but when, sometimes when we say in English, I hope that that happens, you might as well be saying, I wish that happens. I'm going to wish upon a star that it happens. That's not how the Bible uses hope here. Hope is guaranteed because it is based on the completed work of Jesus Christ. We see this in the, in the scripture reading that Bill did earlier in the service. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Any hope that you have is not based on your power or your ability. It is based on the completed work of Christ. And because it is based on the completed work of Christ, your hope will never fail. Your resurrection is guaranteed because the price has been paid. Death is defeated. Your hope of resurrection cannot be lost or taken away because Jesus has won it for you. It's important to note here that this is one of the ways that Christianity distinguishes itself from every other religious or philosophical system. No other religion or philosophical system can guarantee future hope. It is because Christianity is based on the grace of God through the completed work of Christ. So we know with certainty that Christ will gather and save his people. And along with that, we see in verses 14 to 15 that this hope is for us. Again, look at verses 14 and 15 with me. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are left alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. One commentator summarizes this past part of the passage this way, in death believers are not separated from Jesus. There is no time of non-existence, no purgatory, no soul sleep. The idea is that those who have died before the return of Christ are with God. And Paul explains this because as we see in verse 15, there was a fear that those who died before the return of Christ would in some way miss out or would be excluded in some way. This was the fear. Now what they didn't know is that all of them would eventually die before the return of Christ. (laughs) But we see in verse 15, though that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The church's grief was incorrectly increased because they were worried about their friends and probably family members missing out on the blessing of God. When your friend or your family member passes away, if they are a believer in Christ, you don't have to be worried. And on top of this, Paul brings comfort to them that this is not just his opinion. Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul highlights his apostolic authority, that these are not just his opinions. He is, in fact, acting as God's messenger. They can have comfort in this declaration because it is not Paul's truth, but God's truth. God has his people in his loving arms. God takes care of all his people. No one is going to miss out. That is a declaration from God through Paul. Paul highlights this in the next couple of verses. Again, this idea of no one is going to miss out. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. If before we could be comforted that God will gather all of his people and will not miss anyone, here we see that the return of Christ will not be something we need to be worried about missing. The first part of this verse describes an event, a global event of sheer power. God himself will come down. Look at the text. He'll come down with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. To to make the greatest understatement of the year, people will notice. Again, Paul is telling this because you don't have to be worried about missing out. This is not that's going to happen somewhere that people are going to miss. The picture is like that of a parade, an entourage that will accompany a king or ruler into a city. 
The dead in Christ will not miss it, and those alive will not miss it. Not only will the dead in Christ not miss it, but they will be first. Again, think of their problem as the backdrop to this. If my friend dies before Jesus returns, is he going to miss out? And the resounding answer from Paul is that no one will miss out. Everyone alive will see this event. You know, there are some out there who believed the events prophesied about the end happened in A.D. 70 with the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. And one of the reasons we know that's wrong, there's a lot of reasons, but one we know is this right here. How could so many people miss it if that happened? This is a cosmic event. Okay? The trumpet of God is probably the loudest noise that has ever existed. <laughs> no one misses this. And it's not even going to be close. It's like, well, was that? Was that did that happen on Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. No. <laughs> the voice of an archangel, people. <laughs> No one misses this. No one is going to mistake this for something else. There is, a, there is a fear in these people that they're going to miss out on the blessing of eternal life. And Paul says, stop it. You will not miss out on the return of your Savior. You won't miss out on hope. Hope cannot be missed because it is done by God himself. And the friends that you're worried about, they actually get to be at the head of the parade. Look at verse 15. Sorry, 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. Not only will they not miss out, they will have a place of prominence. One author about this writes, the dead will not lose the opportunity of going out to receive their sovereign Lord. They will have a place of privilege. Again, the picture is of what would happen in that part of the world. We'll get more to this in verse 17. But the idea of when someone important comes to town, there's a whole parade and entourage that comes with it. And the picture is of when Christ returns, there's a whole noisy parade that comes along. And that gets us to verse 17. Look at verse 17 with me. Then we who are alive, because the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, I'm not going to deny that there has been debate on the exact meaning of particularly verse 17. Each view has their own strengths and weaknesses. 
If you're familiar with words like pre-tribulational rapture and post-tribulational rapture, this is one of the strongest verses for pre-tribulational rapture. If you want to know more, I'm going to recommend this book. It's called The Rapture, Pre-Tribulation, Pre-Wrath, or Post-Tribulation. And this is a counterpoint book, meaning someone presents their view, and then the other authors say why they were wrong, and then give their view, and then the other people tell them why they're wrong. And it's a great little book, a dialogue book. I'd recommend it if you want to come look at that after service. Let me know. But let me remind us that while it is good to study these things, while it is good to form an opinion about these things, these are secondary issues to the larger issues of hope and comfort that undergird this whole passage. Let me remind us, as we study this, and you should study these things, as we study this, the point of the passage is to bring comfort and hope to people. And that's the main idea. But let's look at, with that being said, let's look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Those who are alive join the believers who have already passed and have been gathered by God. The picture is of God gathering all of his people with no one being left out. The reference to the clouds and meeting the Lord in the air reminds us of when Jesus ascended into the clouds in Acts chapter 1. And what did the angel say? He's going to return in the same way. And the word translated meet there, again, connects this passage to a cultural practice of when the king or an important person was coming to your town, you would go outside the town to join the parade and then come with him into the town. Again, the idea of festiveness, the noise, the importance of this is God himself returning. And no matter where you fall in the debate of the specifics, we see with much clarity the end of verse 17. What is the result of this? And so we will always be with the Lord. Christ will return. It's not the idea of Christ will return. Christ will return, and when Christ returns, his people will be with him. The sweet promise of our future of our salvation is that all who belong to Christ in faith will one day spend eternity with him. It will be forever. And there is no point at which we are in danger of being separated from the Lord. The most important truth that we need to see here is that those who are united to Christ in faith will one day spend eternity with him. No one misses out. No one is left behind. Again, verse 17, all believers will always be with the Lord.
Again, you think of that Thessalonian church. They were worried. Will my friend, will my family member who died, will they always be with the Lord? Answer, yes. No one misses out. No believer misses out. No one misses the return of Christ. That for those who belong to faith have the guaranteed hope of resurrection and eternal life. Final point of the passage is in part the application of these truths. Again, on this we have much clarity. And again, if you're using the outline in your bulletin, the third point here is to encourage one another. I love the simplicity and the conciseness of verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Why does Paul talk about the return of Christ? Why does he talk about the resurrection? Why does he talk about grieving with hope? So that we can encourage one another in the face of death. There was great fear in the Thessalonians. Maybe there's great fear in your life. The point of this passage is that we would be encouraged by the truth of the return of Jesus and the resurrection to eternal life that we have. Even in the face of death, we can have hope and comfort. We can find encouragement even in the hardest times because we have the hope, the guaranteed hope of the resurrection. If you are a believer in Jesus, you can know with certainty that you will always be with the Lord. No believer in Jesus will miss out. But I want to point out a little nuance in verse 18. Verse 18 does not simply say, be encouraged by these words. Now that'd be a very appropriate application of this text. But notice that's not what it says. What does it say? Encourage one another with these words. It is a reminder that grief and facing death as a Christian is doing so in the context of community. Yes, you can read these words and be encouraged, but you are also called to encourage one another with these truths. When Jesus saved you, he did not just save you as an individual, he saved you into a church family. And I have seen that over the years here and in other places of that is when, when someone passes away, that is when the church family really comes together in beautiful ways. And when we have memorial services, we can point to these truths and encourage one another that our loved one is with the Lord and one day we too will be with the Lord and we will see them again. It reminds us that suffering is not meant to be done alone. 
grief is not meant to be done in isolation. That part of grieving with hope is building one another up with the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. That death is not the end. That the end is Christ returning and gathering his people, all of them, for the hope of eternal life. It is when we hold to the true hope of the resurrection together that we can face the pain of death. A couple points of application as we close this morning. Number one, grieve loss with hope. It's my conviction that our hope in Christ actually gives us the strength to grieve in a healthy and appropriate way. You don't have to ignore the loss or pretend that the loss is not real, but hope keeps us from drowning in our grief. We know that death is not the ultimate end for believers in Jesus. We know that on the last day, God will gather all believers to be always. What a wonderful reunion with God and with those who have passed on before us that we look forward to. Number two, our future resurrection is a guaranteed hope. Because our hope is through the completed work of the death and resurrection of Christ, it is guaranteed. This hope cannot be taken away. This hope cannot be lost. It is the hope of every single believer in Jesus. And finally, number three, in these words. Grieving with someone is not always easy and simple. Sometimes the grieving person must begin with just silently sitting with them and entering into that process of grief with them. I have seen some people interject the good news of the resurrection before someone was ready to hear it. And it felt rushed to the process of grief. But what I also know is that if we are going to grieve in a healthy way and not be lost in our grief, we must encourage each other with the hope we have in Christ. You cannot grieve in a godly way without standing on the hope of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the ways we must serve one another. To enter into their grief and to encourage one another with these words. Grief and comfort are meant to be done in the context of a church family. The Thessalonians needed to be taught about the resurrection because of the fear that they had of missing out on the blessing of God. We can be encouraged that no believer in Jesus will miss out on the hope of the resurrection at the return of Christ. Because of this guaranteed hope, we can have comfort and hope in the face of death and not fear. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these encouraging and comforting words in your scripture. 
that we can have hope even in the face of death because we know that one day Christ will return. We know that, God, you will gather all of your people without exception. And we know that our hope is guaranteed through the completed work of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. God, that we would grieve as those who do have hope. That we would minister to one another. And that we would encourage one another with these words. And that even in the face of death, we would stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.